Welcome to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church in Harvest, Alabama. We invite you into our sanctuary as we dive into God's Word with our pastor, Dr. Al Perringer. And so this morning, if you have your Bibles, turn with me uh, to Romans chapter 12. And I say, turn in your Bibles. I forget there are a lot of folks who use devices nowadays, which is very, uh, very helpful. You can have a Bible with you whenever you need it. So turn or scroll, you know, we, we kind of, we, we develop these ways of how we describe things. But we're going to be in Romans chapter 12 uh, and uh, verses 3 through 8. And uh, you didn't know you were going to get two sermons today. Uh, in the sports world, that's what we call free baseball. Uh, so, uh, you know, but, uh, you know, what Brian said you know, just, you know, speaks, it speaks to me as to where we are uh, in our day, and I pray that the word that I bring this morning uh, will help us to see uh, how through, uh, through God's, uh, you know, grace to us and our faith, and if we would think about humility just a little bit, that maybe revival, if we turn back to the Lord, revival would start with us. So I wanted to start with a uh, 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 just a little bit of statistics, a May 2014 poll that was conducted by YouGov found that only 4% of Americans think they are less intelligent than the average person. 55% think that they are smarter than average. And the poll also indicated that sometimes wealthier respondents were more likely to think that Americans are in general unintelligent. Now, most of us do think very highly of ourselves, and, and you know, if you'll just ask us, we'll be happy to tell you how good we are. Uh, now, it may not be with all of the thunder and the bravado of the macho man Randy Savage when he tells uh, Mean Gene that the cream rises to the top and that he is the cream of the crop, even though he had just lost his title uh, to another wrestler. We all love to tell one another and tell ourselves how good we are. You know, now, we're giving in to pride uh, when, uh, when we do that, we are, when we try to build ourselves up. Often, uh, we know in our heart, we think in our heart, that we might not be all of that, and we're trying to make ourselves look um, better by either looking down on the person maybe sitting to one side of us, or that we think, well, I am definitely... You know, I'm definitely no, not like the other person who is sitting on the other side. They are, they are a lot better than I am. We fall into comparison. And so uh, another story, you know, t- talking about pride here um, that, can iminst- that demonstrates a little bit of uh, humility was that Grantland Rice, who was a 20th century sports writer who was well known you know, for the elegance of the sports stories Uh, that he would write. It was said that even though he was a talented writer and people knew, uh, or at least in that day, they knew who who he was, he did have a generous heart and was the epitome of courtesy. Now, one time it seems that Mr. Rice uh, had lost his press pass for the Army Notre Dame football game in New York. And so he, um, his writing, you know, basically created yeah, the, and, and it was, his writing was very important because he created that kind of, that aura, if you will, around sports events. It's kind of like, you know, thinking of some of the great sports writers that we have had here in, in Alabama who told the stories of the Iron Bowl 
that we all well remember. And so, you know, he was planning to cover this game and he lost his press pass. And so uh, he, he could have made a big deal about it. I mean, people would recognize who he was. But with his press pass gone, Mr. Rice didn't complain and he didn't pitch a fit. He simply walked down Broadway and found a local scalper and purchased a ticket. And then he went into the stadium and he, and he watched the game with his typewriter on his lap. And so after the game, he went to the press box. Everybody had departed, so it was kind of open season. And he went there to find a better place to finish up his account of the game. And someone asked him, well, why didn't you just throw some weight around? Um, and that would be kind of like, you know, if you go to Bryant-Denny Stadium and you see Eli Gold walk up, and, you know, nobody is going to deny Eli Gold going into the press box to go to his microphone to describe that game on the radio. Everyone knows who, who he is, and it seemed to be that way with Mr. Rice. So someone said, why don't you just throw your weight around? Uh, so he said to the person, tell you the truth, I don't weigh that much. So there's a sense that we need to remember sometimes that we don't weigh that much. Um, when we, and when we see it from the way that God sees us, no more and no less, we know that God has given us abundant grace and all that we have, and particularly our salvation through Jesus Christ, is only possible because of God's grace. Humility, grace, and faith are some of the themes that talks about that Paul talks about in the passage that we're going to look at this morning. And so, humility, grace, and faith, they go against our sinful nature. You know, and, and Paul talks about a transformation that's happening, and this trans, the transformation that comes through faith in Jesus Christ shapes our thinking, our relationships, and our service to the Lord. And so in verse 2, just before this passage, Paul talks about that transformation and tells us to not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind through faith in Jesus Christ. And so our passages and those that follow in Romans, Paul is telling the church at Rome the ways to live to live their lives and live our lives in light of the transformation that is being brought about because of grace. And so I want us to read this passage together, and then I want us to see uh, three aspects of humility, grace, and faith. If you'll stand with me in reverence to the reading of God's Word, I'm in Romans chapter 12, and we're going to be looking at verses 3 through 8. And in verse 3, Paul writes, For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, not to think more highly of yourself than you ought to think, but to think with sober discernment, as God has distributed to each of you, excuse me, to each of you a measure of faith. For just as in one body we have many members, and not all the members serve the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually we are members who belong to one another. And we have different gifts according to the grace given to us. If the gift is prophecy, that individual must use it in proportion to his faith. If it is service, he must serve. If it is teaching, he must teach. If it is exhortation, he must exhort. If it is contributing, he must do so with sincerity. If it is leadership, he must do so with diligence. If it is showing mercy, he must do so with cheerfulness. Let's pray. Lord, I pray this morning that we will see great truths from your word and that the Holy Spirit will come and open our eyes and that uh, we will be comforted, uh, convicted, and challenged by your word this morning. 
In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. All right, so the, uh, the first aspect that I want to talk about is that humility, grace, and faith should impact our thinking. It should impact how we think about ourselves and how we think about others. And so Paul is writing to the church at Rome that he has some things to say about being a living sacrifice. And so verse 3, Paul is writing to this church that he's never been to, and, and he doesn't really know them except by reputation, and, and they don't really know him except by reputation. And so in verse 3, he's saying that because of the grace given to him, uh, that, he has, that he has something to say. Now that grace is the authority that he has as an apostle uh, to speak the message of the Lord Jesus Christ. So if anyone back in the early church had, an authority, had a resume for authority, it just might have been the apostle Paul. Here's how Paul described himself in Philippians chapter 3, verse 5. I was circumcised on the eighth day from the people of Israel and the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. I lived according to the law as a Pharisee. So he knew the Old Testament. He could, he could explain the Old Testament, which is the scriptures that uh, that church would have had at the time. But also in Acts 23, he said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Sicilia, brought up in this city, educated with the strictness under Gamaliel, according to the law of our ancestors, and was zealous for God, just as all of you are today. So, uh, you know, when Paul was talking about his life uh, as a Pharisee before, uh, b before knowing the Lord Jesus Christ, you, you, you could see him here, he's name dropping just a little bit. You know that teacher Gamaliel? I studied under him. And Gamaliel was a well-known uh, and well-thought-of member of the Sanhedrin. Uh, he is one of the few members of that council that we know their name from Scripture. And so Gamaliel, written about by Jewish historians of the time, he was, uh, you know, he was like one of the great scholars of our day. You know, Paul also, as far as authority, he had a direct encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ on the way to Damascus. And so uh, if Paul wanted to... Uh, you know, boost his authority, he could have said, hey, I had an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. But that's not what he said. He says it's by the grace given to me because the authority that Paul has is all of God's grace. The grace that he received from Christ, even though Paul was persecuting the church, uh, it's the same grace that every believer throughout time has been given by Jesus Christ. And it's only on the basis of grace that we who are sinners can approach the holy, holy, holy God of the universe. So what does Paul want to say to the church at Rome? Um, and he says that you need to change your thinking. And so verse 3 uh, also says that everyone should not think of themselves more highly than you ought to think. He says we need to think with sober discernment as each of us has been given a measure of faith. And so earlier I gave an example of thinking more, more highly than, of yourself than you ought in the case of, of the macho man. You know, and, and we can see <clears throat> in a wrestler or in, in uh, maybe the sports stars that we look at, we can see all around us today pride. We take pride in our family heritage, in our education, in our possessions. You know, and those are not necessarily all bad things, but 
Pride is lurking near every sin that we can think of. And we just experienced a whole month devoted to pride in the individuality of the self to claim whatever identity that you want for yourself, no matter what the order of the natural world says, and in particular, no matter what the Word of God says. And so when Paul uses the phrase to think with discernment, he is talking about thinking of yourself and others with humility, which is the opposite of thinking more highly of yourself than you ought to. It's the opposite of pride. It is humility that reminds us that God in his grace through Jesus Christ has given, you know, has given to humanity every, to, to every believer a measure of faith. Now it may be as small as a mustard seed or it may be a new, enough faith to move mountains, but every believer in some measure has been given faith Why is Paul bringing up humility and grace here? Because he's going to talk about how believers relate to one another and the body of Christ and how we serve together through the spiritual gifts that God has given to each believer. Pride can creep in when we talk about the gifts that God has given to believers because every gift is different and everyone has a different capacity to serve. And so we must recognize that every gift is vital for the church to carry out the mission that Christ has given to make disciples from all the earth. And so that brings us to the second aspect that I want to look at this morning. Humility, grace, and faith should impact our relationships. And so Paul likes to use this analogy of the human body uh, when he talks about believers in a church functioning together. He says in verse 4 that a body has many members and that not all of the members serve the same function. In the human body, there are all different members, all different parts. In the church, the members, of the, the believers make up the church. Uh, there is the universal church that is made up of all believers for all time, and so those who are now with the Lord and those who are still on earth. So it, it is the whole of the body of Christ. But there are also those who are in a local church. Those, there are members of a local church, no pun intended, uh, that function together and serve God in the way that they have been gifted and for a specific purpose in the location where they are at. And so this idea of of the body is a good way of describing this relationship. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 13 through 18, Paul elaborates a little bit on this metaphor of how the members of the church are like the human body when he writes, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks or slaves or free. We were all made to drink of the one spirit. For in fact, the body is not a single member, but many. If the foot says, since I am not a hand, I'm not a part of the body, it does not lose its membership in the body because of that. And if the ear says, since I'm not an eye, I'm not a part of the body, it does not lose its membership in the body because of that. If the whole body were an eye, what part would do the hearing? If the whole were an ear, what, what part would exercise the sense of smell? But as a matter of fact, God has placed each of the members in the body as he decided. 
And so every believer has received the one spirit that, ta- that Paul talks about through grace, and it's received through Jesus Christ. It does not matter you know, what, you know, what you like or where you're from or what you've done. Every believer is a member of the body of Christ, and every member needs to be related to other members through the local church. And so another way to think about this connection is an old song that we may have learned as a kid that shows how the body is connected. When it says that the toe bone is connected to the foot bone, and the foot bone is connected to the ankle bone, and the ankle bone is connected to the leg bone, and then it says, oh, those bones, oh, those bones, those skeleton bones. Now, you probably just sang that in your mind. But James Weldon Johnson wrote this little, little poem and little song, Dim Dry Bones, uh, based on the story of Ezekiel where God brings dry bones back to life. And that's what happens each time a sinner is saved by the grace of God. All believers, at one point, they were dead in their sin, and yet by God's grace, he makes all believers alive through faith in Jesus Christ. And a little song points out how all of these things are connected together. And that's why Paul uses this picture, word picture, if you will, of a body to show how the body of Christ is connected together. Now, in the body, there is diversity. The toe is not a foot, and an ankle is not a leg, and and all these parts are different. It's the same way within the church body, every member is different, different. All have been given faith that comes from believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. But now, but how that faith is exercised leads to the diversity that we see in the body of Christ. But also in the body of Christ, there is unity. And it's very difficult to, to, to walk or to, um, to do things if the, if the toe and the foot and the ankle are all not working together. Now, I'm clumsy. And one of the most common ways that my clumsiness uh, shows itself is in the pain that I cause to my body when, when, that, that the, when I do something that a task is required and I do it incorrectly and it causes pain to the member of my body that's required to do that. A little toe is a very small part of the body, but... It can make you miserable when you're trying to walk from the bedroom and kick the couch in the family room on the way to the kitchen. You will be miserable, which, which would seem like for an eternity. And also, you know, tripping on sidewalks is painful, especially when you know that you're going to be dependent on, on that angle to walk you through the streets of, of Nashville, Tennessee with, with a few of your best friends dragging that ankle along. You know, clumsiness is difficult, and if all the body is not working together, you'll see that difficulty. Point is, every part of the body is necessary. Therefore, every part of the body of Christ is necessary if we're going to follow the analogy that, that Paul is making here. Even if the role that you play is very small and seen by very little, even if it's just like that little toe, it's still important. Because everything that, that believers do will have an impact on the mission of Jesus Christ. And so thinking of ourselves and others through the, the lens of humility and remembering that we all belong to one another, it should shape our relationships so that we can keep moving forward in the mission that Christ has given us here at Harvest Baptist, at Harvest Baptist Church. 
uh, we are his body here in this church, and we are moving forward for him. The diversity of the body is also, is also seen in all of the different gifts that God decides to give the members of the body to serve each other. And that brings us to the third and final point this morning. Humility, grace, and faith should impact our service. In verse 6, Paul tells us that God has given different gifts according to his grace. And it's God who has decided how these gifts the various gifts are distributed that are necessary for the body of Christ to function. Then at the end of verse 6 and going on through verse 8, Paul lists some of the gifts that God has given uh, to different members of the body of Christ. And so the word for gift that is used here, it's very interesting that it is the same word that is used for grace. And it should be a reminder that all we have from God, our salvation through faith, the transformed mind that comes through uh, faith in Christ, that, that allows us to think about, to, to rightly think about ourselves and others, uh, they're all gifts that we have received as a part of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we can see in the history of the church that some gifts are seen to be more important than others. We get into comparisonitis. Uh, the Corinthian church uh, some ways created a pecking order, if you will, of the different gifts, you know, that some gifts may be more desirable than others to have. And that's why Paul asks them these questions. Are not, all, not all are apostles, are they? Not all are prophets, are they? Not all are teachers, are they? Not all perform miracles, do they? Not all have gifts of healing, do they? Not all speak in tongues, do they? Not all interpret, do they? And the answer to this long list of questions that Paul is asking is no. Every gift that God has given must be valued and used in the service to him. And so one commentator writes, for a Christian to minimize the other gifts while he emphasizes his own, is to deny the very purpose for which gifts are given, the benefit of the whole body of Christ. And this may be what Paul is, is trying to point out here about how we should think of, about ourselves and others and how we are related and, in unity and, and diversity before turning to list some of the gifts that have been given for us to serve the Lord and to serve one another. Now, this is not a complete list uh, of, the, of the gifts that God has given to all believers, but he wants us to see that we need to use our gifts that we've been given for the body of Christ and use them in the right way based on the proportion of our faith. And that's what he says at the, at the end of verse 6. So here is just a, a quick overview of some of the gifts that have been given to the members of the body uh, to, to serve the body of Christ. Uh, the gift of prophecy, which is the ability to speak the word of God into someone's life in a particular situation in such a way where they, they are convicted or challenged in, 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 some, in some way in their life. It must be used in proportion to faith, and that means that we should have the faith if we speak a word to someone, that God's word will do the work that it has been sent out to do, either to convict of sin, to bring faith and repentance, or to change lives. Faith means keeping in mind in, and in humility uh, the measure of faith that the hearer will have and that we should be 
speaking a word in the measure of our faith and allowing them to respond in similar manner by the measure of their faith. And so the, the next gift that uh, we see is the gift of service. And we use the word service in, in so many ways in our culture. Uh, we service our cars. Uh, we comment uh, in many different places in social media on the, surface we, on the service we receive in a restaurant. Uh, and in the case, a lot of times uh, we have, um, we, we comment on how people are serving when we may not necessarily be thinking about you know, our own humility and grace. And so, but in this case, this word service has something to do with uh, overseeing the administration of the aid that people need. Uh, the term for service here is the same word that is used in relationship to deacons, but Paul doesn't seem to have in mind here the office of deacons. Whatever the dimension of service looks like, Paul says that if it's your gift, then you must serve. And it seems that the idea of serve, that, that, with, uh, that you should do it with all of your heart. Paul also says that if your gift is teaching, that is providing instruction and doctrine and in the Christian life, then to teach and do it with all your heart. Paul tells those who have the gift of exhortation to encourage people and to do it with all your heart. Paul says that some have the gift of, of contributing or some, some translations may call it mercy, uh, which you know, has a, uh, the, the concept of meeting the financial needs of others. And Paul says that to do that with sincerity, the one who has this gift should meet the needs of others without regret, knowing that the Lord works out all things according to his will. So if you give some money to someone in the church, or whether it's your feeling that you're prompted to give money to someone that you see at a restaurant or in the, well, we used to have shopping malls, what am I saying? In places you go shopping, if you see someone and they ask you for money, if the Spirit prompts you to give it, then do so with sincerity, knowing that God is going to work out the details. And so those who have the gift of leadership, that is to provide vision and management uh, in some area, then they should do it with diligence, uh, not just because they have a title or, or, hey, you've been volunteered. They should do so with diligence, like they're serving the Lord, and lead in, and lead in a way that demonstrates their heart for the Lord and His mission. And so those who are gifted to show mercy are those who have been given a unique ability to help care for and comfort the sick and, and, and encourage them. But, and whenever they are working in those situations, and we know through the time of the pandemic, many of our brothers and sisters who worked on the front lines helping people and saw all of the things that happened, we need to, encouragers need to encourage them, but they should also do their job and serve others with cheerfulness, knowing that the Lord has given them a measure of faith. Remember, that each one of, us, of these gifts, they all have a place in the body of Christ. Listen to what one commentator says about how the gifts work together in humility, grace, and faith. The list of gifts is representative for one person embody all these gifts. An assertive prophet usually would not make a good counselor, and a generous giver might fail as a leader. 
When people identify their own gifts, they should then discover how they can use their gifts to build up the church. They should realize that one or two gifts can't do all of the work of the church. Believers should be thankful for each other, thankful that others have gifts that are completely different. In the church, believers' strengths and weaknesses can help balance together each other. Together, all believers can build, the Christ, the, can build Christ's church. And so, remember the survey that, that I spoke of at the beginning that 55% of Americans think that they're smarter than average? Our country seems to be ignoring at times Paul's warning not to think more highly of yourself than you ought to. We are, we are, kind, of, we are kind of showing, we're kind of like that kid uh, at the end of the Polar Express, the, you remember the nerdy kid in the yellow shirt who needed to be reminded that a smidge of humility would serve him well. And I think that that would go for us today. A smidge of humility would serve us all well. Do you need to see your relationships through other, with others through the lens of humility? Remembering that God gives all believers a measure of faith you know, solely on the basis of his grace. Maybe there's a relationship that you need to come to the altar and pray about and pray that God would help your thinking about that relationship today. And brothers and sisters who are here who are believers, we are all a part of the body of Christ and we have different roles to play. Through God's grace, we need to gather together and work to bring the life-changing news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to our neighborhood and to our city and around the world. Maybe, and, and maybe today, that life, you have never experienced that life-changing message uh, of the grace that comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. You have not placed your faith in him and turned from your sins to be added as a member of the body of Christ. If that's the case, then you do not have any of the gifts that I have spoken about to serve the body. What you, what you will receive is the wages of sin, which the Bible says is death. Death means spending an eternity in hell separated from God. And so if you would like to hear the life-changing news of the gospel and how you can know Jesus Christ today, then I'll be at the front and I would love to tell you of the life-changing news of the gospel of Christ. Maybe you're a believer here uh, and you do not know what your uh, spiritual gift is to exercise in faith and with all your heart for the church and to further the mission of Jesus Christ. There are many ways that a believer can, can look in the word and, and seek the scriptures and, and other tools that have been developed to help you discover the way that God has gifted you to serve the body of Christ. And then on the other hand, maybe you need to come and become a member of the body of Christ, at least in its local expression here at Harvest Baptist Church, and how we can work together uh, to serve each other and to serve our community and to sp spread the mission and the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So this morning, the altar is open and respond in obedience to the Lord today. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at harvest-baptist.org or find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can also find info on our children's ministry on Facebook at Harvest Baptist Children's Ministry or on Instagram at kidsquest underscore HBC. Our student ministry is on Facebook at HBC Vertical Student Ministry and on Instagram at VSM underscore HBC. 
we welcome you to join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are located at 8999 Waltrana Highway in Harvest, Alabama. Thanks for listening, and God bless.